Welcome to this edition of Print City Podcast. Um, I'll just go around the table to introduce ourselves. Um, I'm Peter Goff, and I'll try and edit this afterwards. If I pass to my right. I am Craig Banks, Professor Chemistry Academic Lead for Print City. Okay, I'm Ed Keefe, uh, 3D Print Manager at Manchester Metropolitan. Uh, Keith Brown, I'm Professor of Sculpture and Digital Technologies in the School of Art at MMU. Right, that's quite a, a brief introduction to somebody who's done so much. So that's the purpose of our our presence here today. We want to find a little bit more out about Keith. We we found some f- last week from uh, from Craig's presentation during the launch of Print City, but um, I'm obviously reading this from a page. So so Keith Brown, sat to my left, is one of the foremost digital sculptors currently working in Europe. He's made a regular representations at international level as a contributor to and organiser of symposia and exhibitions in electronic and digital art. Um, I'm not even going to read the list out, um, Keith, because you've been everywhere, really, haven't you? I just think the Antarctic is the one you haven't done. Um, so recent venues have uh, been as broad and diverse as Royal Academy of Arts, uh, SIGGRAPH, um, quite a lot of work in America, Beijing. Um, so uh, you've been to Vegas as well. So founder and president of Fast UK. So before we go carry on with your introduction, uh, what is Fast UK, Keith? What can, what oh, well, it, it, it came about really as a result of the CALM project back in 1996 to 98, um, where the Higher Education Funding Council uh, wanted to get uh, scientists, engineers and artists together around 3D printing. And they ran the CALM project for two years. So. Um, during that time, we were also hosting the ICEA conference, uh, which is the International Symposium of Electronic Arts, in 1998 as part of Manchester City Council's Digital Summer. So the Fine Art Department uh, put on the uh, ICEA exhibition, and uh, we also included the Calm Project. So that was probably the first exhibition of 3D print in art and design in the UK back then. Uh, as a result of that, I did a bit of travelling, really, reconnaissance for the ICA project, and we uh, uh, went over to North America to a conference in Chicago, uh, one or two other conferences, and discovered the uh, Computers and Sculpture Forum in North America. And they were working with Ars Mathematica in France. And this was, oh, uh, I think Ars Mathematica had started as early as 1992 using uh, CNC profile cutters in a project called Hands Across the Ocean. Anyway, I realized that there was potential really to get a group of artists and designers together here in the UK and to join in with something they were calling Intersculpt, which was a a kind of a live event uh, biannually between uh, the uh, uh, Computers and Sculpture Forum, which was really a a kind of... um, a sort of an offspring of the International Sculpture uh, Centre. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll contact all of the artists and designers on the Com project and uh, promise to set up a, a website for them. Had to learn HTML back then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, I probably oh, eventually gathered together about 50 artists and designers Right, so um, I mean, you, sorry to jump in there, Keith, but say you're the founder and president. I mean, you're already, you're already spinning enough plates. Is, is at some point, is there somebody you, you, you're going to hand over oh, well, to? Well, it, 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 I did hand it over actually to uh, um, one of my XMA students who was doing a PhD up in uh, Dundee at the time, but uh, then they moved to the States and I didn't have time really to pursue that any further. 
and uh, really CAD and 3D printing was becoming ubiquitous. I'm talking about, you know, kind of maybe 2006, something like that. So uh, Fast UK really went out of business around about that time. Right. Okay, so um, postgraduate student at Royal College of Art, 72 to 75, and um, since then you've been working within the digital arena now. 2D, 3D, and 4D. So, is, is there any D you haven't done? <laughs> um, well, yeah. I, well, actually, I, I, I left the RCA in '75. Uh, then I went on to do the the Cheltenham Fellowship and then the Cardiff Fellowship. After that, um, I started here uh, at Manchester Polytechnic in 1980, and I think that was my first introduction to computers, really, because as part of the induction week, we went down to the uh, the mainframe in the John Dalton Building and and there was a terminal there. PDP-11, was it? It was, a, it was a massive uh, terminal, you know, really, <coughs> a mainframe. And we played this game called Moon Landing or something, which I really didn't understand. And I couldn't see what on earth computers would have to do with fine artists at that time. Well, OK, okay so um, we've just touched on it there, but you've used the, the mainframe at the Polytechnic at that time. What's the first computer you actually owned, and do you remember the specification? Well, I mean, the next introduction to it when I realised that computing did have a use for fine artists was when uh, we uh, had a, a, a copy of the Quantel Magic Paint Box, which was a kind of uh, a fairly hefty workstation in those days, very, very expensive, and we shared it uh, with Stockport, Blackpool, and the Polytechnic here, and we each had it for a year, and so we'd get on the train and go to Blackpool to use it. <laughs> uh, it was only 2D. I mean, we didn't have an element of it called Harry, which was the 3D, but it was enough to give me an idea of uh, what the potential was likely to was be. Was it used for TV graphics as well, the Quantel? Was Pardon? it used for TV graphics as well? Yes, well, the BBC had one. Yeah. And they, they had one at Hornsey. Video for Money for Nothing, Dire Straits, they did the backgrounds in Quantel paint box, apparently. But yeah. um, <clears throat> obviously, we're, we're here to. Um, find a lot more about you but the, uh, Craig introduced you and um, in, in one case it was an introduction to some people who uh, who didn't know your work so Craig how did you uh, how did you come to recognize uh, Keith's contribution to the digital arena I think uh, Peter is just um, excuse me acknowledging that um, Keith's well ahead of his time I think that's a pioneer uh, he's been sat here all this time um, under our noses and we've not realized the potential talent that, that he's got and the foresight that he had to to get into 3d printing ahead of anyone else in his particular field and to, uh, for me that really shows someone who's got some drive and ambition and talent to really embrace new technologies and be really disruptive in in, in his own area and it's a lesson that we can all learn that we all need to be more disruptive in, in everything we do and that's how we're going to move technology on so it's really a, a great pleasure to hear hear Keith of, of where he's come from, how he's got to it, and where he may go next. You know, what what would be the future, Keith? Do you think after this, with it three D printing, does VR come in? What, what you know, really, if you use your imagination, what what could it be? Well, you know, I mean, I think that uh, you know, v certainly VR is very exciting, as is AR too. Mm. Um, I, I, as part of my current sabbatical, I am hoping to invest in the HTC Vive and, and get a fast games computer with the necessary graphics card to, to get some uh, exciting stuff going there. Uh, before I started using 3D printing and became obsessed with CAD, 
And the reason I did that I might add is because I realized quite quickly that you could do things with it that you couldn't do with physical objects. For me, it went beyond my imagination. So, uh, I mean, there might be worth saying that ever since I first started making sculpture, I worked directly, which means that rather than having an idea in my head of what it was I wanted to make, I'd work directly with the materials, uh, push them around to see what happened, observe them, make decisions as I went along. Um, there was no real idea of exactly where I'd end up. So using serendipity uh, was largely the way that I'd move forward. And I think once you'd had one or two successful results, then that indicated that if you kept going, you might get some more. And uh, there's no point really... Uh, 3D printing a, a cube or a sphere because it's much faster, cheaper and easier to make them other ways. So uh, from the very beginnings, I realised that um, th 3D printing is a, an output for CAD. And of course, VR is an output for CAD as well. Um, I think the, the, the two come together. But prior to working with 3D printing, and as you well know, even now, it, it's not cheap. It, it, it's expensive. And back in the mid-90s, I remember round about the turn of the millennium going all the way to San Diego to, to a conference where I knew I'd get a little 3D print done. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> of course now things have changed dramatically. But scale is still a problem. I mean, I think that you need to go to CNC engineering for large scale and or use traditional carving techniques from a print. Once it's printed, then it can be copied. For me, you can't conceive of or imagine some of the possibilities that occur within that cyber environment from the outside. You have to immerse yourself in it, and so. Well, that's, so at Print City, um, as you know, we've got a big range of equipment and different materials, different capabilities, and I'm sure you've seen the 3DP workbench. Has that got the mind going? What you could do with something of that size? Oh yes, I mean scale is is important. Um, there's still lots of um, thresholds there that need to be overcome. I mean, the workshop, uh, the workbench, you know, although it's a, a, a fabulous machine and it's got a scale to it, um, it used to have a soluble support material. Uh, the current version doesn't, but I know that they're working on that. So, again, um, th there's not much point really 3D printing something that you can make with other machining techniques faster and easier. So uh, the majority, if not all of the work that I do, uh, depends on really very complex geometries with internal convoluted cavities that unless you've got a removable and easily removable support material either soluble in some liquid and or a powder that you can remove then it's extremely difficult to get the support material out of the interior yeah, of I it. I think that's um, Ed's day-to-day -day, uh, takes up a lot of Ed's, of yes. Ed's time. So while we're, while we're talking about Ed, um, at some point you and Ed met up, you realised we had uh, at the time Hobbs on site now it's uh, under the umbrella of the university and launched very successfully last Tuesday um, at MMU. Ed, what was your first experience of meeting Keith? Actually, it was um, my first official day at uh, MMU when we started almost four years ago. We had a 3D print um, event. Um, I was there as a member of the Hobbs team then, and uh, Keith was there showing off his wares, and um, it kind of blew my mind as soon as I saw them. I think we started chatting that night, and then the next day, I think we met. And then you, uh, I was just thinking as well, back to then, nearly four years ago now, uh, I think we hit it off pretty much straight away. And um, Keith invited me to come and see some more of his work over at his office a couple of days later. 
Um, we've been talking about the interconnectedness of things, which gives a crossover, nice crossover between art and science. At the time, I was reading Douglas Adams' book, The Holistic Detective. And I was on the train in, going, going to meet <coughs> Keith. And uh, I just got to the part in the book where he realises that his professor has got a time machine and it's his office. So <laughs> I was on my way to Keith's office at that time, put the book down, walked into Keith's office. First thing Keith said to me is, did I tell you I made a time machine? It wasn't office number 42, was it? No, and we just, you know, all of this is, <laughs> all of this kind of interconnected stuff and, and then I'm reading a book about the interconnectedness of everything and then I'm in a room, I'm in an office with a professor saying I've got a time machine. Just blew my mind and I think Keith has continued to blow my mind um, every time we've met. We've, uh, I've been really fortunate to, you know, be sitting... Having cups of coffee with Pete, where we're talk uh, with Keith. Sorry, um, we're talking about quantum mechanics and gravity waves, and I'm thinking, God, I'm getting paid for this. You know, yeah, this is fantastic. Wonderful. Then th um, the, the other great thing we had the 660, the 3D Systems 660 powder jet printer, which prints full color. So Keith immediately kind of took to that, started experimenting with the full color um, options and kind of interplay with imagery and kind of illusions so we kind of spent a lot of work on that also some of the post-processing as well Keith has shown me lots of ways of doing really kind of high quality post-processing to the point where we had a salesman in who, who a salesman who sells 3d systems 660 color machines and he picked up one of Keith's pieces and said what did you print this on and I said <laughs> we printed it on a 660 and he said I've never seen anything like it how do you finish it? Obviously, he's a salesman, so I said, I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> and so we, we, it's been a kind of a, a, a really exciting roller coaster working with Keith. And it's really nice that he's getting some recognition now within the university because he's recognized worldwide. And uh, what I'd like to see, it's been kind of my mission to, to get the word out how we've got this kind of jewel in our crown. And, um, you know, my, my kind of bit for the near future is to get some of Keith's work into special collections because it should be there Manchester Metropolitan mm. has a great special collections uh, museum and um, and then maybe we could get a talking of scale we could get a large piece in the new uh, Prince City 2 development to uh, showcase you know Prince City sure 2 it's so, a good uh, opportunity for Craig yeah. to tell us a little bit about what Prince City I know he's I don't know how you, I don't know how you're still awake because of the travel your travel <laughs> schedule over the last week would kill most people but you can yeah. uh, just give us a background on what Print City 2 is over in Nutsford. Absolutely. So it's a uh, follow-on from Print City 1. So this is going to be the, the next scale, the next version of, of, of Print City. So uh, it's going to be mainly around advanced manufacturing and have some additive as well. But you can really see where, you know, you always think you're confined to a build chamber. And we've been talking with Keith how you can scale up. Well, you could imagine coming over where you could have a, a whole load of robots printing away on scale and at pace, and I think what we're aiming to have is a is a, a new a new location that's going to service SMEs, but also be very heavily connected to the original uh, Print City through education, through the new MSc that we're doing, and still embedding with the new courses that we're we're developing in the university. And so I think it's a fantastic opportunity. It'd be a go-to place in the northwest. So Print City is already a go-to place. And we can see how we can expand with the help of Tatton Estate and the uh, Cheshire LEP, uh, a really significant um, breakthrough. There's a lot of stuff in the UK, a lot of resources, but not connected, not accessible, say, to fine art people like Keith. Mm. 
you know that's really uh, some, something that's wrong with, with with the way that it's been set up generally we always consider it to be just engineers that use it but at print city as you know we've done over a thousand hours since september already fine art to fashion to healthcare, keeping keeping ed here very gray and, and busy but it kind of shows you that you know cad and as, as keith's been the pioneer you know you can get hold of cad you can learn it with a bit of bit of drive and you know, it's getting easier and you can really really do things you couldn't possibly do before when every day i come into print city i see people doing things i never thought were possible and for me going back to keith what we're here to speak about i think he really was the pioneer of all this you know really should be recognized as one of the leaders if not the leader in taking it a completely different disruptive technology at the time and applying it so we can really learn something from from keith and i think it's a great role model that we can have uh, here at the university and also we're down at the new print city too or the cheshire hub as we're calling it which hopefully will be launched um early early um 2019 if not before so it's really exciting times for us and plus there's more to come wonderful so um if we we you know you you can only do things with the tools you've got and we say that manufacturing has changed and so has the tools um, we've talked about your first computer, Keith, and using the, the mainframe down there. But there must have been a light bulb moment when you thought what you could actually do, not just with 3D graphics, but eventually get that from the digital to the physical. But what were the sort of main constraints of getting it to the physical? Well, you know, I, I think um, after the, the Quantel experience, uh, there was a department um, designed for learning in the Faculty of Art and Design. And we'd bought the very first Apple Mac, or our very first Ma Apple Mac. It was actually a Mac II. And obviously, uh, you know, we could have bought a bandsaw for that. It's quite an expensive <coughs> piece of kit. And so uh, the dean at the time had insisted that it shouldn't be ring-fenced by that particular program. And so he opened it up to all of the members of the staff to go along and have a look on a Wednesday afternoon when there was no teaching. I went along, um, had a look at it, and was immediately fascinated. Uh, at that time, I was working with, with trees, actually slicing them up and reassembling them in, in various ways, a large chainsaw, and I realized the possibility. Uh, I've never really been very much of a draftsman, you see. I mean, I've always had an excellent sense of form, but uh, well, one of the things that I think CAD did for me, I'm also dyslexic, and so using Word is liberating for me uh, as a dyslexic. And, and now I, I think I've probably overcome my dyslexia, uh, the amount of emails that you write every day, etc. <laughs> um, and so in a way, I, I think that these technologies can actually offer people a, 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 the possibility to make things that they might otherwise not believe they've got because in a way that, you know, Word will give you uh, a perfect text and font. Uh, similarly, if you do want to make a sphere, then just like that in CAD, you've got a sphere. You don't have to carve it or... Or, or, or anything else. I think I made the point there yeah, that it opens up possibilities for those who perhaps previously thought they didn't have those natural facilities to so do you it. You mentioned a the Mac there, so you've used the Mac, and obviously yeah. I'm, I'm a, I use Macs all the time, but what are the platforms? PC, Silicon Graphics? Well, I, um, I used the Mac Linux. to begin with because it was there. Um, once I began to uh, get deeper into the modelling, I realised that I needed to move to the PC. I needed kind of... Uh, 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 better rendering, the sorts of cards that you could put in the open architecture of the PC. I think the Mac was very much a desktop publishing machine back in the 90s. Um, now, of course, it's it's all singing, all dancing, since Steve Jobs had come back in 
uh, from the next computer that he'd left uh, Apple, I think, in the 90s to start his own Unix-based company. <coughs> and then he went back. And, and, and so Apple kind of picked up again. And I think because of Steve Jobs' input there, then the machine developed in a very in a much broader sense. I think the first thing he did when he returned, wasn't he, so was to look at the inventory and say, yeah. well, we just need a decent, we need a consumer laptop and a prosumer laptop and the same for the desktop. And he reduced it to four and chucked everything out so they yeah. come, come straight on those. Um, but you're, you're, the, the thing that I've not got any connection around this table with is what you and Ed have, is your experiences with 3ds max so if we just go you know, 1988 to 94 it was run under dos 16-bit then we went 96 to 2005 32-bit intel architecture now 64-bit only and presumably you're one of a few people probably who's used every one but yes i mean i started with 3d studio 2 back in 1992 before that i was using uh, uh, cad software on the mac called infinity uh, there were various different sort of forms but it was limiting um, of course, I think that one of the things that these sorts of technologies do is they bring people together from disparate areas. And so uh, because of my interest in CAD, I was meeting people in graphics, in design, in architecture. Um, and the architects who were familiar with um, AutoCAD, of course, as, as a 2D uh, drafting tool, uh, were into the first version of 3D Studio. So, uh, I took a look at that and realized the potential and moved over to that. And then I, I think I, I ran it first on a 286 or a 386. Uh, <laughs> had to learn a little bit of You have of to toss. open the back and put some more coal in. More, well, yes, I mean, very limited what you could do. But still, it, you know, it was exciting. And I think it was when the Calm project was kicking off round about, it must have been 1996, uh, when I, I got I, possibly the first version of 3D Studio Max, fairly sure round about then, because it had a tool in it that I'd not seen anywhere else, and it was called a torus knot. And uh, that fascinated me, because uh, it was largely because of the torus knot that I became aware of the possibility of being able to work with self-intersecting geometries, which are otherwise uh, not I bet possible. that was a late night when you discovered well, that yes, you can't it was. leave it alone. I know what it's well, like the, when you There's a story there, picture. actually. I, I was at Seagraph um, in Los Angeles, and as part of that like kind of four-day conference, they bus you out to the local cinemas to show you all the latest special effects and things. And I sat next to this Sounds chap. Sounds like on, hell, Keith. Oh, well, <laughs> it was, yes. Uh, <laughs> sat next to a chap on one of the coaches that sort of bussed us out to the cinemas, and... I asked him what he did, and he said he was a programmer, and I said, who do you work for? And he said, oh, Autodesk. I said, oh, um, I use Max. He said, oh, do you really? I said, yeah. I said, fascinated with the Taurus knot. Oh, yes, he said, Steve wrote that. <laughs> and some weeks later, I got an email from Steve, uh, who'd looked at my website and said, uh, did you use the Taurus knot to make any of those wonderful sculptures? I said, yes, all of them. <laughs> so he didn't even recognize how his mm. own kind yeah. of algorithms were being used really and of course I'm not a programmer um, I've always worked directly with found material and I, for many many years treated the uh, treated 3D Studio Max like a found material. I wouldn't import textures. I would import it just to shove it around to see what I could do within it. Do you think? And so, sorry. Do you think um, with your first version of 3D Studio, when you didn't see an output into the physical world, then um, that was one thing. But when you realise you could make something a physical world, does the process change knowing you can actually produce it? Uh, you can actually produce a, a physical model because. Um, 
I know uh, Ed as uh, he he regularly gets things that come through the door that think well we've not seen one of these before and that's not been done before but you've you've had to face that at every every stage haven't you really because you're making stuff that's never existed before and you're also you've got to get people to as we saw last week you've got to get people to recognize that what you're doing is groundbreaking i think keith um i keep calling you keith but it's ed <laughs> keith yes ed, you struggle you struggle i'm not saying when i say you struggled at school you have to hear me out before you yeah. throw me out but you you struggle to get your work recognized and you're told was it you told not to use computers yes at yeah um and uh that, that thanks for that's a that's a quite nice link for the next thing i wanted to say actually is um yeah i back in what was that the late 80s early 90s again art school was producing computer graphics and um, was called in by you know, external examiners and marks were taken off my work because they were saying, you know, what well, this is a load of crap, basically. And I think... We can edit that out, that, it's okay. That, um, <laughs> that, that kind of, that attitude still, until it, it's changing, I can see it in the last 12 months, last 18 months, it's changing within the art world. And there are artists around the world, obviously Keith being one of the foremost, who were working with these technologies but there's still a kind of a, a sort of a, a snobbery towards using a computer, which is what I wanted to bring up. This, this kind of term computer generated art, it's not computer generated, it's generated by the human mind and the computer is a tool and we use the tool. Nobody ever said to Michelangelo, the David, the sculpture of David is a chisel generated sculpture. You know, <laughs> it's it's not it's a piece of great piece of work. In the future with that <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's not chisel generated, it's generated by actually by a human with an idea and learning to use the tools and by using those tools properly, he's created an amazing thing. And I think that's what we're really all talking about. The the print to me the printer is almost irrelevant because the technology's changing. We need to understand what we can do with this stuff how we can do it and then keep kicking the doors in basically which uh, I think Keith is uh, got a big pair of boots <laughs> <laughs> okay well obviously he's the man as regards um digital sculptures concerned but is there anybody you you know um maybe he's been in contact with you who's you've inspired and they've maybe um they produce work in, in this sort of arena of digital sculpture is who else's work do you admire <clears throat> um, I don't think I've necessarily inspired anybody that I'm aware of. I'm sure you have, Keith. Um, I'm not sure if there are very many uh, um, artists using the computer for 3D that I particularly admire. Um, I think they're beginning to use it. Uh, there is, as Ed said, a, a certain sort of taboo about it, really, in that uh, I, I, I think people think it's the computer that does it and not the artist or the designer. I think <coughs> since the advent of email, of course, and everybody uses email now, it's not the computer that puts the context, context into their, or the meaning into their words, you know. I mean, uh, uh, similarly, I think uh, when, when you're, uh, I'm not sure about the word design, you see, because invariably I'm not designing, I'm actually exploring I, I, I think ex exploring and discovering and realizing other things that excite me more than anything else. So, um, do you think so that may be? Do you think that might be because of things excite you when you see them? Because you you come from a you come from a background where it was all so basic. Because give you an example, I walked into my son's room and he was playing on his on his uh, his Xbox One, <laughs> his Xbox One, and um, 
I said, oh my God, look at the reflections on the floor. Look, he was playing some game and he said, look at the reflections, look at the textures. And he's going, Dad, what's up? He said, it's pixelated. Yeah. And I almost hit him. He said, that is not pixelated. That is running 60 frames a second HD. So it, it, sometimes if you look at it with a, one set of eyes, I mean, to quote Douglas Adams again, he said, whatever's in the world when you're born is normal. Yeah. Um, yeah and you yeah. only know what from that point on but so you've got quite a you know um, you can reflect quite a long way back you can connect the dots and see how things have changed so maybe you have a sort of respect for for the the tools um, like nobody else yeah I mean of course I, I use a very limited set of tools they're the ones that fascinate me and I, I think it all relates to the business of uh, you know going back and tragically of course Stephen Hawking died just was it yesterday um, when I was at art school at the Royal College in the 70s, of course, when he was coming out with his theories of uh, the Big Bang and black holes and such like. And I remember that it was a three-year course at the Royal College in those days. I think I spent my second year uh, in, in, in the Queen's Arms with a pint of Guinness thumping <coughs> the table. Saying, Sounds a great that. course. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, really. No. Uh, uh, why they didn't throw me out, I'll never know. But I, I was trying to get my mind around this idea that everything and nothing were the same thing. And I uh, had an interest in Islamic numerology and the zero to nine system that we use. And of course, nine is equivalent to zero in Islamic numerology. And uh, I studied that as a kind of hobby for some time. And eventually, I think I read uh, Einstein and Leopold's Decline of the Mechanical View and the Rise of Field Relativity, and therein discovered uh, uh, the force field of an electromagnet. And I think there... Uh, it goes out to infinity, technically, uh, theoretically, and is then drawn back to a point of singularity in the centre. So I saw your models. I think some of, some of your sculptures sort of suggest that, don't they? Everything seems to fold in on itself sometimes. Uh, absolutely. The, yeah. the, 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 I mean, I'm probably old-fashioned in many respects because I like sculptures to be resolved. I like them to be complete. I like ideas of unity. Otherwise, there's a kind of open-endedness and an unresolvedness about it. Uh, one of the things about the torus form is that it has one traceable surface. Um, it, 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 and in CAD, it's the outside's connected to the inside in a continuous way. So all of the work that I do has to obey a certain set of rules where um, the elements within the compositions are procedural. And if I alter one of them, then everything else will kind of uh, re-self-order. So self-ordering is one of the things that fascinates me, using uh, what becomes an invisible topological controller in the form of a torus knot to then deform spheres and cylinders um, is, is what I work with, and I push that around and push it around, and um, occasionally I get a breakthrough. I mean, a lot of it's just tedium, it's boring, it's pushing it and pushing it and pushing it in the hope that... And presumably every time you, you change something, you've got to wait for it to calculate the... You know, if you're looking for a... a what, do you use wireframe or do you go texture? No, I, I mean, I've, I, I've got a, a Mac Pro. It's <coughs> aged now. It's about six years old. I need to replace it for a faster box with a better graphics card now to get response because some of the models I'm working with in order to maintain the coherence of the geometry... I have to up the polygon count to several million, and so you then get a bit of a time lapse, a time lapse when you're giving an instruction and waiting for it to see what happens. So, I think um, the closer you can get to working in a spontaneous way, 
Uh, it, it's certainly in the way that I work anyway, because it's exploratory. Okay. Um, I, I'm not looking for things that I'd recognize. I'm hoping that I will further realize and, and, and then understand well, more about what I'm doing, point, really. That's a good point for you to sort of investigate that, because when I bumped into you at the Prince Etty launch, you said to me, you know, you're starting your sabbatical. It means you'll be able to spend all your time rather than some of your time yes. working on this. So what's, have you got anything in mind that you, you're really going to sort of focus on in this sabbatical or are you just going to see where it takes you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on colour again now that we've got a colour printing facility here. Um, I, I know when uh, uh, we lost the uh, Project 660 and the, and the colour facility, I was doing some work with MCOR Technologies, a southern Irish firm that have a 3D colour paper printer. And they, pay, they, they print parts for me for free. They send them back to me. I do a fair bit of post-production on them because uh, nobody else seems to really be able to do that to the same level. And I send them back to them, and then those pieces go off around the world, uh, visiting all the major like kind of uh, conferences for 3D printing as they go. So it's very good for impact that because in you know, audiences of uh, tens of thousands, really, uh, for every one of those, the the work gets seen, which is really important. I think you know the, the whole point of research really is to move things forward if you yeah, can, absolutely. and then to make that available to others, really. Yeah. So. Um that's so you've got a busy time ahead of you so you, obviously we've got the print city facility now is is yeah. uh well we're waiting on uh, i think oh, i've got i've got to put craig on the spot here about the metal printer is um <coughs> it's uh presumably have some sort of metal facility at, uh, at some point yes <coughs> you know as we know we've got the msc coming we want, really want to encourage our our msc students to be able to embrace all the technology we, we know uh, from other courses, uh, particularly around metal, they only ever get taught on one machine. And we found out that that's a bit of a downside when they're trying to be employable. So really we want everyone to be able to come in, understand the range you have from the low end to your high end, you know, and so they will understand about metal printing. So that when they go out to industry or they want to apply it, they'll be able to influence rather than just be told what they should be doing. But going back to your point, yes, we will have a have some metal, but you know, there's a lot of metal printers out there already, so we want to make sure we're not just duplicating resource already, um, and we want to be able to um, complement what there's out there so far. But yes, probably by uh, August, I expect we have one. Okay, well, we'll not, we'll not hold you to that because <laughs> I, I know it's a process. We've got to make sure it's right, and it's for education. It's yes. a lot of money, and we've got to make sure it works right. But uh, um, Ed, do you, what do you foresee? The um, you know, we've we've got a metal printer. What do you foresee is going to be the well, the next big step in 3D printing, do you think? Do you think we're already up? Is it plateauing, or is it, no, is it things getting faster? And it's there's a little bit of slowdown, but it's a um, nod towards Craig again. It's the chemists now we need. We've got the engineers who've built machines, and it's the chemists who are bringing out new materials, new processes. Um, we look at something like carbon 3D, where they've got the con the clip continuous um, process. The chemists who develop that. Um, the chemist who were influenced by a sci-fi film for I think Terminator 2 I think it was <coughs> so there's lots of stuff going on but I see the next five years as things just bigger better we're, we're kind of replicating the history of the computer the PC and my my prediction for the next couple of years is going to be colour so I think again Keats at the forefront of that really working with full colour prints we've got the gypsum printer which is a great machine but we're looking at um, you know see the um, XYZ printer, the uh, Da Vinci 
which is a little FDM oh, we saw printer. That, the CCT, yeah, it's we? a great little printer. Um, it dies. It's got a CMYK printhead. Dies the filaments as it's printing. So I think if we can, you know, that once someone's made these these breakthroughs with Keith's eyes are lighting up here when you're telling yeah, about this. Yeah, we make these <coughs> people make these engineering and chemistry breakthroughs, and it all yeah. comes together. Then we've got these new machines, these new processes. Again, we have to learn. Um, you know, we have to we have to adjust our mindset to fit in yeah. with the new tool set. And it's it's a it's a, it's a I mean this is the great thing it's exciting every day like Craig said when he comes in every day there's th different things going on I mean he came in before we've been printing off kneecaps for somebody you know it's kind of crazy stuff every time you come nothing in nothing to do with Ray Winston <laughs> <you know laughs> nothing to do with Ray no. Winston I don't think <laughs> but um, you know the, it, it is different every day it's it's a, it's a, it's exciting um, we're in really exciting times we are the kind of the Brunels yeah. of our generation and it's it's you know, yeah. it's fabulous I, I think to pick up on that point uh, uh ed you know we, we are really innovative as well in the as in the material science as you know we already can do graphene we, yeah. can, we can do the other 2d materials we can do recyclable um elements to into a circular economy so really uh, it's a nice synergy here in the university what we were able to do here was to open it up rather than just having it as in a silo in say mechanical engineering as they have at other places so that really allows material scientists like myself to develop new filaments that then goes back to Keith. Yeah. So again, he can be pioneering with the new materials and, and print these and make them conductive. And, and just, you know, scientists are not very imaginative people, unfortunately. You know, we're, we're quite good at inventing on. stuff, <laughs> but we can't make that big jump. So I think I was great to see, you know, uh, fine art or fashion working with like material science or engineers. I think that's that's the way forward. That's yeah. how disruption happens. So really, for me, it's to see Keith coming in his sabbatical, get that mind free again. Also, you know, see digital at the heart of it, and then see you know the latest materials that our research groups are are, are using, producing, and and manufacturing. How he can then take it to another level. And for me, that's the uniqueness of Print City. That's something you won't get anywhere else, and that's the disruptive curve that we're on, and we're leading the way. So that's why, for me, back to where we started, is I think Keith again. We'll probably come up with some more ideas that will just be blowing everyone else out of the water. Okay, just uh, we were going to finish there, but I've got to ask you something, Keith, a personal thing. When you watch uh, a film that's been created in a digital environment, can you watch the film or do you just get lost in the technology like I do? Think, oh, look at this, like I said before, look at the shadows, look at the. Do you, can you watch a film and follow the story uh, that's in, in a film that's been produced that's obviously digitally manufactured? Or do you uh, just get lost in the technology? I suppose uh, yes or no would not be the answer I'm looking for here. Yeah, right, right. right, 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 right. <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, I, I rarely watch fiction. Um, I'm, I'm just far too busy, really. I mean, I've got a TV next to my monitor, and so when you're rendering, it might take five minutes to render an image. So I'll be watching United or something like that. And oh, the trouble mind. is, Good the choice, trouble is, I'll miss, the, I'll miss the goals <laughs> because I'm watching that render come down the screen. <laughs> Oh, damn, I just scored, you know. So it's just like music in the background of TV, yeah. really. And just about all of the time, that I, all of the tree time that I've got, um, I spend sat there very sadly, really, in front of a computer, uh, searching well, I don't and searching. Think, I don't and think sadly, because look, yeah. look, look at what you've done with it. It's, it's, uh, it's wonderful. So, um, and hopefully in the uh, Royal Academy Summer Show as well, possibly. Oh, yes, I just yeah. heard yesterday. I've been shortlisted. Yeah, I mean, excellent. that doesn't mean they're going to accept it. It depends it's whether the academicians find space <laughs> after they put their own stuff in, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, Keith, if you, if you summarise, you know, um, your career and what you've learned and how you've been disruptive, 
you know, you, you, you do a bit of teaching. Um, you have done on fine arts and, and other areas. You know, what would be that inspirational sentence or two that you would give back to your younger self? You know, to really inspire that next generation and, and you know, inspire me, you know, to keep going on with what I'm doing. Uh, you've got me there, really. I mean, I you think can't, that... You can't say drugs uh, and alcohol. For, 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 <laughs> King's Island. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I can say this. I think that there are three things that you need to succeed in anything. Yes. You need the ability. Yep. You need the desire. Yes. And you need the discipline. And That's if good. you don't have any one of those three ingredients, then you are not likely to succeed. If you're three foot tall and three foot wide and you want to be a marathon uh, Olympic champion, then yeah. according to Plato and people's particular like kind of abilities, then no, that's not going to happen. But if you want to lift weights, you're right in the right place at the right yeah. time. Yeah. So I you think don't realise what you just said because desire, discipline and... Ability, desire, and discipline. Yeah. How apt yeah, yeah. is that? Yes, We've got to have that on our walls, yeah. haven't we? That's brilliant. That's fantastic. I think fantastic. Uh, certainly, uh, for me, uh, personally, the most important thing was to discover I had an ability, a facility. I had a sense of form. Um, being dyslexic helps as well because it, it helps you to organise non-linear, more complex spatial arrangements than uh, the, other, the other side of the brain does. Um, if, if there is any like kind of uh, sense in that at all, but um, I think y you can acquire ability depending on what it is and what that range is, you know. But um, if you've got it in the first place, then if you haven't got the desire, there's an awful lot of people with talent who waste it in this world, and and even with the ability and the desire, then you have to discipline yourself. You have to pursue it with passion, I think, in order to. Uh, genuinely move on and, and discover things really okay thanks Keith I think uh, um, we'll, we'll start to finish up now but uh, you know I'm not going to say on behalf of because we're all here but I think it's wonderful what you've what you've achieved um, doing something that nobody else has done disrupted um, made a name for yourself and, and you know and recently you know in, in the past week I think we've woken a lot of people up to what you can actually do and what you've achieved and uh, go on from strength to strength and uh, personally, I just hope your, your sabbatical is uh, really enjoyable more than anything. Fruitful, hopefully, but enjoyable more than anything. Uh, Craig, any closing comments before we? No, I think uh, <coughs> I think you've summed it all up, uh, Pete. We're you know, Prince City's uh, is progressive, and we're happy to have um, a, a legend. I think it's the white word, isn't it? I yeah. think we can use that word. Um, and what I like about Keith is he's. So, you know, he just walks around as this normal guy around the university yeah. and people bypass him. The vice chancellor well, walks past him and doesn't realise that this guy is internationally leading with all this work. And I think we really should be here, and hence why we're here, Pete, is to really celebrate this this fact. And the fact that we can work together in Print City uh, and as we move forward. And I think that's going to really inspire the future of 3D printing and advanced manufacturing. So I'm really pleased that Keith's part of it. Wonderful. Yeah, I'd just like to say anybody listening um, wants to see some of <coughs> Keith's work and know a little bit more about Keith, check out YouTube, uh, Keith Brown, uh, really good talk, a TCT show um, right, yeah. about two, two, three years ago, was that? I think it longer? was 2014, right, so TCT, yeah, a couple of years yeah. ago, but it's still a very interesting talk and um, yeah, great, very interesting, look into it.